being Father's Day, I've been thinking about gifts, and uh, there's probably some great gifts that have been given to dads in the last you know, day or so. Um, but what do you get a guy when you don't know what to get him? You know? It's kind of hard sometimes on Father's Day, like, what, what, what should I get my dad? You know, he's all, do I get him another pocket knife? Do I get him some more food? You know, like, like, do I do more chores around the house? Like, what do I do? And so I thought about what would be some creative gifts? Like, you know, maybe the, the opportunity has passed this year, but you could tuck these away for next year. But what would be some great Father's Day gifts for dad? So let me just share uh, some really interesting gifts that, that could come about. One is, if your dad has facial hair, you know, you could just go with the facial hair grooming pack, right? You know, a little beard oil, a little, you know, whisker wash, you know, maybe, maybe you, could, you could do that. But uh, moving on to some things more fun, maybe if your dad likes to do the lawn, but he wants to not miss exercise... You have a mountain bike mower, and so that, that way you get to mow the lawn and exercise at the same time, you know, knock out two birds with one stone. Or if instead your dad's been working really hard, this is a solar automatic lawnmower. He can just sit in a chair and let that baby mow the lawn for him, okay? So that's, uh, that's out there. You could get one of those. Maybe um, more in the uh, sports camp if your dad's a golfer. This is a weed whacker golf club. <laughs> So just pop the club open and, you know, whack around that ball if it gets in the rough. And then, hey, now you got a clean shot. So that might be a little fun for you if your dad's a golfer. If he's more of a basketball guy, especially with recent events, um, <coughs> you can get the basketball um, cereal bowl, you know, because we're, we're still playful at heart. like to play a little bit. And so maybe you can take some shots while you're eating your breakfast. Or maybe he's a big coffee drinker and you just want a unique mug. You can give him the um, toilet mug, mug. So, um, yeah, that, that'd be interesting. You can walk around drinking out of that. If he's more of like, you know, manly man, burly, you know, give him one of these. This is a Viking horn cup, all right? So you just walk around. That just makes you feel like a man walking around with a horn, drinking out of a, you know, rhino horn or something like that. That, that could be a lot of fun. Um, if he's big on food, you get him a bacon wallet, all right? So get the bacon wallet going. That would be really interesting. Uh, if you're a little more traditional and you want to go with the tie, but with a twist, just get him a tie made out of wood, all right? The wood tie. That would be really interesting to have. And if all else fails, you can always just get him a pair of Darth Vader pajamas. Um, <laughs> Because every man wants a pair of Darth Vader pajamas. No, no there's, there's a bunch of interesting gifts out there, fun gifts. But on this day, on Father's Day, and as we continue in our series in the book of Romans, where we're talking about how to be made right with God, uh, we come upon a passage of Scripture that talks about a gift, a free gift from God. And I'm excited to share it with you. Many of you already know what it is. Uh, it'll be a refresher and reminder for some of us. It may be new for some of us here in this room or watching online. So I invite you to join me as we continue in our series, Right with God, through the book of Romans. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, just a reminder, we'd love to give you one for free. So stop by the information center on the way out. Pick up a Bible. Otherwise, fire up your Bible apps or open up your Bibles. Join me in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be reading uh, the back half of 5. We read the first half last week, and now we're going to be in verses 12 through 21. Romans 5, 12 through 21. Here we go. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift, there it is, is not like the trespass, 
For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned uh, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, it's appropriate that we call you Father. You are our creator. You're our master. You are our heavenly Father. And God, no matter whether we've had outstanding models of dads in our lives or whether we've had uh, horrific or absent fathers in our lives, we can come to you and know that you are a perfect dad, a flawless dad, a loving father who has good gifts for his children. And so, God, we pray that as we read through this passage today, and Lord, as we try to extract understanding, Lord, that you would interact with our hearts, our minds, and our very wills. Lord, that we're not, we're not seekers of just information today. We're seekers of transformation. We want to be different because we spent time with you and in your word. Lord, we also continue to pray for our team in Indonesia, Lord, that over the next couple of weeks as they serve with the people who do not know you, who've never heard uh, the good news of Jesus, that you'd give them health and safety, and fruitful ministry, Lord. And so we thank you for this time of teaching as well. We ask that you go before us in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Well, we just read about an incredible contrast. And this contrast uh, has a theological determination. It's a contrast captured by the doctrinal language known as something called federal headship. Federal headship. Federal headship is a very appropriate term to be talking about on Father's Day. Because basically what federal headship is, is that one person is a representative for an entire group, for an entire group of people. And so we look at Adam, who was the first human created by God, and he represents our entire race. Adam was the father of the human race. So we have headship under him. And uh, when he fell, when he sinned, as this passage is teaching, then we all sinned. And this is such a, a deep but necessary understanding that we know that we sin. We know that we choose bad things. We think bad things. We choose not to do the right things. Where did that come from? Well, we trace it all the way back to our very first ancestor in Adam. Because when Adam sinned, he, we sinned. When Adam fell, we fell because our headship is in him since he is the ancestor over our family. He represents us. We're his descendants. And so uh, we are all in Adam. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks about imputation. Imputation is the understanding that a trait or quality of one is credited to the account or given to another. So when you start to understand this concept of federal headship with Adam, what it means is that when Adam sinned and we sinned, he imputed his sinfulness to us. Thank you very much, Adam. All right? He imputed the consequences of that sinfulness to us. 
Because God is a just God, and although he's loving, he must discipline sin. And his wrath is against sin. And so what Adam gave to us is this imputed sinfulness and judgment from God, condemnation. And so isn't that just a, you know, a beam of sunshine to wake up to, you know? And, and that's what we have in Adam. But two of my favorite words, but God. <laughs> but God didn't leave that to be the case. He provided an alternative to have for headship in our lives. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. And out of his mercy and out of his grace, he offers us a way out of this condition by providing another representative for us in Jesus. And because Jesus is God in the flesh, which means that he's holy, which means that he's perfect, that means that he's righteous and he's good, when he died on the cross... For the, for the sinfulness of mankind. And when he rose from the grave to give evidence that he can conquer sin and conquer death, and when he ascended to heaven, now we have this alternative available to us. And basically what God is saying is, you can choose to remain in Adam. And, and your life is dominated by sin and the things that come from Adam. Or instead, I'm holding out to you this offer, this invitation to be in Christ. You get to choose which one you want to have as your head, Adam or Christ. And so this federal headship issue is that those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, those who become followers of Christ, who say, I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm sinful, I need the Lord, when they cross that threshold of faith, they go from being an Adam to being in Christ. If you're here today, you're watching online, and Jesus is your Savior, you're in Christ. You're not in Adam. That's the good news. The bad news is, if you have never personally entered into a relationship with the Lord, you're not in Christ yet. You're still stuck in Adam. And, and that's significant because we see this contrast unfold in these passages. You know, uh, who is your daddy is a pretty important one to understand here. Because you don't want Adam being your daddy anymore. You want Christ to be your daddy in a sense. And so I want to basically take all the contrast that we see in these verses and condense it down to two great contrasts of the differences of what we have in Adam versus in Christ. So the first one is this. In Adam, we have death. But in Christ, we have life. And when I say life, we're not just talking about um, new life here and a passion and purpose uh, for this life. We're talking about eternal life. And we understand in the biblical sense that death is, is really a twofold understanding. Physical death, but spiritual death. And a spiritual death is when you spend eternity apart from God, not in his presence, in a place of judgment. And we also understand that life is twofold. That it's, it's, a, it's a more meaningful, purposeful life here, but more importantly, eternal life is in God's presence in heaven forever, resurrected. And so this is really the, the, the click understanding of, of these words. So look again at verse 12 with me. Let's, let's, let's kind of look at this concept for a minute. In Adam we have death, in Christ we have life. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death um, through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. And just think about this for a second. This hits home. Some of you are hurting today on Father's Day because your dad's not here. Your dad's passed away. You know, or, or maybe um, you've lost someone recently that you love. Or maybe there's a threat of losing someone you love soon. And we look at death. And death is an unwelcome intruder. It's so interesting. We've been told, and maybe you've even said this to other people, oh, death is natural, death is natural. Death is not natural. God didn't create us with death in, in the picture. That wasn't part of God's design. 
Death came when sin came. Death is unnatural because God didn't make us to die. God made us to live. And so we don't understand his sovereignty, his vastness, why he allowed death and sin to enter in. Maybe it's so that we would see his grace and mercy and love in a different way and we'd have contrast and we'd be drawn to him. But either way, we look at death and, and death is horrific. It's painful. And what we see in these verses is that death reigns. Death dominates. What's the number one fear? They do all these statistics, all these findings. You know what the number one fear is that's been dominating for years? Fear of death. The number one human fear is fear of death. Second, public speaking. Anyone want the microphone? (laughs) Fear of death. Now look, God's saying, you don't need to be afraid of death. Like, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want it to hurt, okay? I know where I'm going. But but everyone's afraid of death. Why? Because death is reigning. And people who are afraid of death are afraid of what the, uh, is on the other side because they're not in Christ yet, usually is the case. And so uh, death dominates. And what's really interesting is, is if you look at verses in 13 and 14, there's this interesting theme that basically gives evidence saying death is the evidence of imputed sinfulness from Adam. Because there's going to be people who say, well, I don't buy that you know, Adam sinned, therefore all mankind sinned because Adam sinned. But when we see the connection of death and sin, no, Adam sinned, and then death came flooding into the human race. Adam only had one rule when God made him. Look, all this I've made, it's yours. Have a party. Have a great time. Enjoy it. Oh, by the way, one rule. This one tree over here that has the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat from that tree. But all the other trees, have at it. Everything else, it's yours. And so that was one rule. But after Adam's sin and death came in, what were the rules for all the other people for over 2,500 years? Uh, Nothing's written. So when you look at verses 13 and 14, it says basically death reigned between Adam and Moses. Why is that significant? Because with Moses came the law. You know, think about the Ten Commandments and the other commandments. Now the law came, it, it gave us definition of sin, but it didn't take away sin. It didn't erase death. It just gave us more awareness of sin. And so even before the law, death still happened. Death still reigned. People still died. Why? Because it came flooding into the human race via Adam. And so death dominates and death reigns because of Adam. Look at verse 17 with me. For if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21 also. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the contrast is this. If death dominates because of Adam, once Christ comes into the picture, because of Christ's death and resurrection, now life can reign. Life can dominate. And just as death entered through one man, eternal life now has been entered through another one man, Jesus. And because he was God in the flesh, he gave the power and the authority and the ability for us to live forever in God's presence. And so we, it's kind of a bittersweet scenario. We go, man, it's bitter that death came through Adam, but how sweet it is that life comes through Christ. So for those who are in Adam without Christ, death still reigns. But if you're in Christ, it's life that reigns. Like when Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't just immediately go to heaven. He spent 40 days walking around showing people his resurrection body going, I'm I'm alive. And we understand that one day we're also going to be resurrected to life forever. 
And so death isn't the end. Death is a graduation. It's a promotion. It's, it's for what's next in the presence of the Lord for the believer. And so it's a beautiful thing. We see uh, in 1 Corinthians 15.22 summarizes it so easy. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so as you're sitting here going, man, this is pretty heavy. We're talking about death. We're talking about sin. You don't want to get stuck there because that's only in Adam. The other side of that is in Christ, it's life. And we can look forward to life. You know, as a pastor, we officiate funerals, memorials all the time. And let me just tell you, there, there is a distinction between those who are mourning that are all in Adam and those who are mourning that are in Christ. And when you're, when you're we're with a family that's lost a loved one and they don't know Jesus and they don't have a relationship with God, it, there's just this this shadow of grief and sadness and hopelessness because not only do they have a loss for the moment, but they have no concept of what's, what's going on after that. And then there's this confusion and there's debate. And when you're with those who know the Lord and have a relationship with Jesus and have a relationship with God and they lose a loved one, there's grief and there's pain and there's sadness, but there's something else in the mix. It's hope because you go, I'm going to see them again. We're going to worship the Lord together forever. And even though there's this temporary grief, we know what's coming later. And it's life. And that fuels our hope. But you can only have that if you're in Christ. And so the first contrast we see is so clear. In Adam, man, death for everyone. In Christ, life for anyone who will respond to him. So in Adam, we have death. In Christ, we have life. The second contrast is this. In Adam, we have guilt. But in Christ, we have innocence. Look at verse 11. Or I'm sorry, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sins. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. There's that word justification. That means to be made right with God. And being um, made right with God came at a price. The price was the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what brings justification. And again, we've talked about this so many times. We'll continue to talk about this. We want to free people. We want to free people from feeling like they have to earn God's love. That you have to do so many good things. You've got to do certain rituals. You've got to do certain activities. And then maybe God will love you. Then maybe God will forgive you. Then maybe you'll have God's grace. No. You look at the cross. And when you look at the cross and when you look at the empty tomb, you know what you say? God loves me. God's given me his grace. He's given me an opportunity to be made new in him. I'm free from fear and from ritual and from trying to have to earn God's favor. He's given it already. That's the beauty of the cross. It's the beauty of the resurrection. And with that comes freedom from God's judgment, freedom from God's condemnation. Now we're talking about the imputed righteousness. We've been talking about the last couple, last couple weeks, that the righteousness, the goodness um, in Christ is now credited to our account so that we can be with the Lord. Look at verse, uh, verses 18 and 19. It really brings it home. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, that's a reference to the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Condensed, 
Adam corrupted, Jesus cleansed. And so if you're sitting here today in Christ, we rejoice. We rejoice because we've been made righteous in the sight of God because of our faith in Christ and his righteousness applying to our account like we've been talking about. But in Adam, you're still stuck in God's judgment. You're still stuck with God's wrath upon you. And, and that sin is in you. It shows um, how God deals with things thoroughly. You know, the other day, um, we were trying to pull weeds around the house. I was out there with my kids, and I'm showing them how to pull weeds. And for the older kids, it was a reminder. And for my five-year-old, this is really the first time trying to do an adventure of pulling weeds with a five-year-old, you know? And um, you guys know there's, that, there's, there's this one particular nasty weed that's out here. I don't even know what it is. It's pokey, and you pull it. You got to get the root. You just know you got to get the roots, right, with weeds. Because if you just pull the top off, it's going to grow back, right? It, it, it's hopeless. Just pull the top off. And so my fear was my five-year-old is just going to rip all the tops off, and I'll be back out there four days later pulling the rest of the weed, you know? And so I showed her, I said, come here, come here, honey. And when we got down, I showed her how she could, you know, I'm picking the little weeds, you know. So if you squeeze that really hard, you squeeze real hard, you pull these little like hair things, that's called the root. If you get that, the weed won't ever come back. Ooh, I spent the next 90 minutes hearing the word root a thousand times. Daddy, root. Good job, honey. Daddy, root. Good job. I'm going, this is a good little weed puller, man. And she's just, she's, daddy, the root, daddy, the root. And one time she goes, oh, I didn't get the root, you know. You look at sin, like look at the things that people have done to hurt you. Look at the things that you've done to hurt other people. That's the fruit of your sin. That's the top of the weed. The root of your sin, Adam. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, guess what he did? He didn't just deal with the fruit. He dealt with the root. He pulled it all the way out. Because if all you do is deal with the, the top stuff, these come and coming back. The reason you need to give your life to Christ, the reason you come to the cross and say, I need you, I'm broken, I'm lost, and I, and I need you in my life, is so that the Lord will come in and pull the root out of your life. All the little rituals, religious rituals, you know what that does? Just pulling the tops off weeds. It doesn't kill anything. It doesn't remove anything. It just makes you feel good for the moment, maybe. God dealt with the fruit and the root of our sin on the cross and made this righteousness available to us through Christ. You know, it's so interesting. We look at this comparison of the imputation. It's so easy. People can cry foul. It's like, you know what? It's not fair. How is it fair that Adam messed up and we still have to pay for it? Like, like you know, in our, in our flesh and in our humanity, we, we cry that. It's not fair that one should change something for all. But then on the other side, we don't seem to have a problem that one went to the cross for all. You can't separate it. To, to be grateful that Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins of the world can't be separated from the fact that Adam fell and his sin infected the human race. It's, it's like you look back and go, God is glorious in how he's so thorough in taking care of everything. And so we come to understand that, man, in Adam we have death, in Christ we have life. In Adam we have guilt before God, but in Christ we have innocence before God. We get to take on the image of Christ. I love what John Calvin, an old theologian, said about this. He said, Christ is much more powerful to save than Adam was to destroy. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that. Because in Adam, we're sinners. But in Christ, we're saints. We've been forgiven in the eyes of the Lord. In Adam, we have guilt. In Christ, we have innocence. Uh, I was reading a story this last week from a, a lot of you guys might know this gentleman. He's a pastor and author named Tim Keller. 
and in a new book on prayer, he tells a story that's so huge. And it's basically this. If you give a little boy, a little five-year-old boy, a toy truck, and he's playing with that toy truck, and it breaks, he's going to cry. He's going to be upset that his toy broke. What if in that moment, the dad said, son, you don't need to cry. We just got word that a relative of ours has passed away and has left us $100 million. You know what that five-year-old boy is going to do? He's going to keep crying over his broken truck. Why? Because as a five-year-old right here, the boy just will cry louder until the toy truck is fixed. He does not have the cognitive capacity to realize the meaning of $100 million. All he sees is the truck. All he sees what's in front of him. He doesn't realize now that he has, that he's a wealthy heir and he can go buy a million of those trucks. That's not even in his mind. All he sees is his present situation. And, and, the, and the understanding that, that he's now a wealthy heir, it doesn't even land in his mind or in the soil of his mind. And I love what Keller goes on to say. He says this. He goes, he doesn't have the ability to let his true condition, being a wealthy heir, overpower his present trials. Christians are the same way. We don't have the spiritual capacity to realize our true condition and understand all we have in Jesus. So here's the thing. When you come to Christ, we have a lot more than $100 million. I mean, just wrap your mind around what we have. We have the promise of eternity in the presence of God. We've got all the promises of God in Scripture that are ours. We've got the ability to, to live this life different. But what happens is we look at the toy trucks in our life that break and we just cry about the toy trucks. We cry about the things that are broken in our lives and we make everything about our present situation. Oh, my present situation. Oh, my present situation. Oh, this present thing is so terrible. And we forget what we have inherited from our Heavenly Father. And in the same way that that boy doesn't get it, sometimes we choose not to get it. I mean, think about this. Once you respond to God's gift of new life and eternal life offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you become an heir of God. You can become his beloved child. You're provided for on earth. You're securely heading for heaven. He's adopted you into his family. He's given you the inheritance of his kingdom, and he's making you new, transforming you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Man, may we stop crying over the broken trinkets in our life and let our lives be fueled by the fact of what we've inherited in Christ. It's like, man, your, your name was written by Adam in his will, and we inherited all the sin and wrath and death. And when you cross over in faith to Jesus, it's like Jesus takes his blood and blots out your name in Adam's will and writes your name in his will. And you get all that comes to you in Christ. You know, I want to I illustrate this with something that's pretty familiar to us here at CVC. Um, I hope you guys are not only familiar with this tool, but you're, you're using it in conversation. Uh, we affectionately call it the three circles. I was playing with this the other day, and it helped me understand what we're talking about here. So if, if you're familiar with three circles, and if you're not, I'm just going to do a little commentary for those of you who, who aren't. Um, we understand that everything started with God's design. Right? You look through a telescope, you look through a microscope, you see God's design. We see God's design, and there was no death in God's design. <laughs> we see perfect relationship with him and his design. But the problem is, we stray from his design, right? And that's sin. Sin is us straying from God's design. Adam sinned. And because of that, we end up in this place of brokenness. Okay? 
the empty feeling that, you know, something's missing, all the brokenness in our life, the abuse, the addictions, everything. And what happens is we try all these things to fix our brokenness, and nothing really fixes our brokenness, and all these things come out of our brokenness. Like, like when we look at the horrific news that we got this week of what took place in Charleston, what is that? Where did that come from? That's brokenness in our world. Why? Because of sin. And where did it come from? Adam, strained from God's design. I mean, that, that, that's what happens in the brokenness. And see, then God sees us in our state of brokenness. And he says, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you there. And he shares with us what we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news, right? That Jesus came, died on the cross. And by the way, I, I always like to kind of sometimes leave an open grave here too because we forget the open tomb is really <laughs> the other part of the gospel that we forget. Jesus just didn't die. He rose. In the gospel that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, and through that, we can be made new. We can be made new, but you have to believe in that. You have to hear the gospel, and you have to choose at that point to repent, which means I'm going to change my mind about how to get right with God, and I'm going to believe in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And when I choose to believe in Jesus and the gospel, what happens is then, at that point, I start to be, uh, I'm just going to put rest for restored and pursue God's design. Man, this is, this is what happens in our lives. So then you look at Charleston and go, how is it that the family member of someone who was so wickedly killed, so senselessly killed, can stand in a courtroom and look at the, the person who killed their family member on the TV screen on the other end and saying, you hurt me, you took from me, what you did is wrong, but I want you to know something, I forgive you. I forgive you, and I hope that you meet Jesus someday. I hope God has mercy on your soul. How can they possibly do that? Because they're seeing through the gospel. Because they're seeing it through the gospel, not through the brokenness. And, and we've seen this and heard this, but as I was looking at that, I went, man, this, this, is, this is so simple for me. All the stuff we don't like, all the, all the parts that we don't like, this sin and this brokenness that's out there, guess why we have that? That's all in Adam. That's all in Adam. All the sin, all the deviation from God's design, all the brokenness that we experience is an Adam. And so now because of that, we've got the death going on. We've got God's wrath. We've got God's judgment coming to us. That's the case for those who are in Adam. But the ability to be restored and pursue God's design, the gospel, even the ability to repent and believe, that's all in Christ. It's in Christ that we can repent and believe in how God's provided. And we take that step of faith. Instead of death, he gives us life. Instead of wrath, God gives us forgiveness. And we're forgiven. Instead of judgment, we have salvation. We are rescued from God's wrath in Christ. And as you look at this and as you wrap your mind around this, I guess it's so critical for you to understand that if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You're, you're trusting in religion. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in a, a false religion or whatever that's, that's not Christ-oriented. You're still in Adam. All your loved ones, my loved ones, who don't have Jesus in their life, they're still in Adam, which means their life is going to be dominated by the brokenness and the sin leading to death and wrath and judgment. Like, what does that do to our hearts? If you're here and you don't know Christ, it should make you go, I need Christ. I want Christ. 
If you're in Christ, it should make you go, I want my loved ones and my families and my friends and my neighbor to be in, be, be in Christ. And if you're in Christ, look, at that's all yours in the Lord. The ability to repent and believe. The ability to, to understand the gospel. The ability to have life and forgiveness and salvation. Why? Because you're in Christ. Federal headship. It's a deep theological term, but it's so critical to basics of understanding. This is not just your go to church, clock your little church card and walk out the door type of stuff. We need to understand who we are and who we can be in Christ. And what I love about this, what stands out so much, is there's one phrase mentioned five times in this whole passage. Anyone see what it was? Free gift. Free gift. Free gift. Not earned gift, not deserved gift, free gift. So those of us who are in Christ, we say thank you, Lord, that you provided that freely. For those of you who aren't in Christ, what good news for you? That God extends an invitation for you to be in relationship freely. Here's what I want to do as we close out. We're going to prepare to receive uh, our offering this morning. And really the, the gifts that you guys give, we're grateful for those. But I want you to never forget that when we talk about offering, we're also talking about offering our lives, our lives to God's work, to God's service, to live for the Lord. And so we're going to offer ourselves, not just our gifts. And I want to talk to those of you who are followers of Christ for a minute. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what I want you to do as we close out. I'd like for you just to um, celebrate. We're going to sing a song here in a minute called How Can It Be? I don't know about you, but there's days I wake up and I'm going, God, how do you tolerate me? You should just squish me now and get it over with, you know? I've got a bad attitude. You know, my mind's not right. My heart's not right. How can it be that you continue to love me? How can it be that you freed me from the Chad who could have been and have given me the Chad that I'm experiencing now? Instead of angry and venomous, I'm joyful and loving? How is that? The gospel, Christ. So as a believer, you sit here and go, how can it be that God just doesn't squish me and get it over with? He just continues to pour out his love, continues to pour out his grace, and just celebrate and worship. I want to also ask you to pray. I imagine if you're sitting here listening and you're in Christ, there's somebody that's coming to your mind that isn't. Pray for them. Pray for those on your 1024 card. Pray for those that you just anguishly have been praying for for years would come to Christ. Commit. Lord, I'm going to go out today, this week, sometime. I'm going to tell people what I'm hearing, what I'm believing. I'm going to share. So I'm asking you as believers to do. But as an unbeliever, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to God's free gift. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. Just stand up with me. We did this last week. We're going to do this again. And I believe there's probably at least one person in here today that is still in Adam. <laughs> it's not in Christ. But you know you need to be in Christ. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I have a, I've got a box up here. And it's got a blue bow because it's Father's Day. It's got blue. There's nothing special about this box. It doesn't do anything for you. But what I want to do is, as we close out and as believers are worshiping, I'm just going to stand here holding this box. And if you don't have Christ in your life, you've never believed in Jesus, me holding this box right now is symbolic of God holding out his invitation to become in Christ, to believe. 
my challenge for you is whether you're in the front row or whether you're in the back row of the balcony, that as a symbolic act of believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'd come and take this box out of my hand. And if you do that, I'm just going to ask you to step to the side over here for a couple minutes. We have some friends that want to give you a couple things. But I want to be clear. This isn't, ooh, I've had a bad week. I want to go down there. Ooh, I wonder what's in the box. I want to go down there. This isn't, I just need a hug. I want to go down there. This is you, just as Jesus publicly died for you on the cross, this is you publicly saying, I need Jesus. And I don't care who sees me doing it. And maybe nobody will come. But we're just held responsible to make sure that you know about the gift being offered. And so whether you're a believer worshiping during this time or whether you're a person who needs Christ in your life today, and you need God's gift, just pray that you respond as God leads you. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift. Your gift of eternal life, your gift of grace, your gift of mercy, your gift of Jesus. God, I pray along with my brothers and sisters in Christ here today, God, that you would not just allow us to be grateful for the gift you've given us, but Lord, that we would be faithful to tell others about the gift. That we wouldn't just hoard it to ourselves, but Lord, that we'd love others who don't know you. We'd pray for others who don't know you. And we'd share about this incredible gift of new life in Christ with those who don't know you. And God, I pray right now for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, that this would be a moment where they would have the courage and the boldness, the clarity to know that they need to come grab this little box as a symbol that they're going to put their faith in you. Lord, take these gifts we're about to give. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.